through 4. And uh, here, as you already know, this letter is written to Timothy, the son of the Lord. And so right after he has made the statements about uh, his son of the Lord and may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace, he says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus, and here's the key phrase, and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Then he goes on in verse 4 and he says, Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things, you could also see it in other translations as genealogies. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So we already see in these two verses in this opening letter to Timothy, his first letter, that Paul is clearly concerned with those whose teaching is false or contrary to the truth. He urgently instructs Timothy that both in person before leaving for Macedonia and then also now in this first letter to him, to Timothy, that he's to stop this teaching that's characterized by endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees or genealogies. That's a strong term. Stop it. That, that, that sounds confrontational. That sounds conflicting. That does not sound like a kumbaya moment. <laughs> and it's out of the gate. He doesn't, he does, other than addressing the letter according to the form of a letter in which he says the letter's from Paul and it's to Timothy, immediately his concern is that this false teaching, this contrary to the truth teaching, be stopped. Stop it. Now, this is not the only time, just to make this point even a little bit stronger, this is not the only time that he speaks against myths. It's not the only time that he speaks against this, this teaching that is characterized by myths. And uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7, he writes to Timothy. So this is just a little bit later in the letter. He says, reject those myths fit only for the godless and the gullible and train yourself for godliness. So here it is again. He's, he's picked up in this same letter, this same concern and this same instruction to Timothy that he reject these myths. He reject this type of teaching that is characterized by myths. Uh, he also does it in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, verse number 3 and verse number 4. He says, for there will, so this is his second letter. He says, for there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Now, we've all heard that before. We talk about that. But listen to the characterization of what the not sound teaching is. Instead, instead of sound teaching, they're going to follow their own desires. They're going to accumulate for themselves teachers because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. Just a little aside here. Your preachers are supposed to be preaching you an old message. I'm not telling you we can't be creative. I'm not telling you that we can't put our efforts into making it as, as intelligible and as engaging as possible. But at the end of the day, if you are tired of an old message, then you need to find another church because the only church that's going to heaven is the one that repeats over and over and over the old message of the scriptures. 
You don't get to heaven on a new message. You get to heaven on an old message. An old message. So they've got this insatiable curiosity for all things that are new. And then look at verse 4. And they will turn away from hearing the truth. Okay, so they're turning away from the truth. But on the other hand, they will turn aside to myths. Here it is again. Okay, so, so Paul, is, Paul is really tied in, in particularly this word myths. He's really, really focused in on that this is tied to and is part of the problem with this false teaching that Timothy is instructed to put a stop to. Okay, so he characterizes these people. He instructs Timothy in the first letter and in the second letter that those who will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching are turning aside to myths. So I can infer from this that if Paul wants sound teaching and he wants unsound or false, contrary to the truth teaching, stopped, part of the deal is, is they're going to be characterized by myths. And in fact, this same sort of instruction regarding Jewish myths, here he gets a little bit more specific, is given to Titus regarding the Cretes. Now, we all like this passage because Paul's kind of a little rough on the Cretes here, all right? And let me read to you verses 10 through 14 from Titus chapter 1. For there are, and there's more before and more after. Again, I'm trying to be cognizant of the time. Even though Sister Leela will get two sermons in in one slot, I still got to give her one slot. So, for there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk, verse number 10, and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching, and they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. Wow, that's pretty rough, isn't it? And here Paul's quoting, obviously, somebody who has characterized the Cretes, and he says it was a Crete himself that characterized him and said, these people are all liars, they're cruel animals, and they're lazy gluttons. And then Paul goes even one step further in verse number 13. It's one thing to cite it. And he says, this is true. Wow. This is the way to win people, right? Okay, this is true. So, he writes to Titus, reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. That what you want in your pastor? Strong reprimand. Wow, got a little, got a little chilly in here. Got a little stiff. This is what he's telling Timothy, or excuse me, Titus. They must stop. There's that word again. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. So I think I'm safe in saying from letters to leaders, from First and Second Timothy and Titus, that Paul has a concern, a clear concern about wholesome and sound teaching and the stopping of false teaching, that which is contrary to the truth. So let me ask you a question. How do you stop teaching that is contrary to the truth? How do you stop teaching that is contrary to the truth? You must teach doctrine. You must teach doctrine. Doctrine is a word that talks about the inculcating within the minds of people the right way to view things. Doctrine is, and forgive me for saying it this way, doctrine is not sexy. 
Doctrine is not entertaining. Doctrine is hard work. Doctrine requires your brain to work. Doctrine means you got to think, you got to concentrate. Doctrine means that you, you, you can easily glaze over. It's not fun. It's not game playing. It's learning things that matter. Now, many Christians like to say that doctrine is divisive. And in our modern era, that's a problem. Why can't everybody just get along? Why can't we just have kumbaya moments? Why can't we just worship God in the spirit of, of holiness and, 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 uh, and of worship and, and just worship together? What, what's the problem here? Doctrine's what divides us. Jesus wants us all to be one. You ever heard this before? You ever run into this? You hear this from good, even claiming to be Bible-believing Christians. Let's get along. We need to avoid conflict at all costs. And I don't know, because I've only lived in one generation. But all I can tell you is, is folks, we all got a problem with conflict. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know if it's our abuse that's, that's gone rampant. I don't know what it is. But we all are gun shy of any kind of conflict. And it colors how we look at this. It colors how we deal with this. Check out this video they're going to play for you. It's kind of a spoof. I want to kind of take a side trail about small groups. Listen to this right here and see whether you identify or this attracts you or not. I uh, need some sound, guys. Business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins. Are you just looking for a place to kick it? Network. Maybe get some free grub. Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey man, how's it going? Yeah, it's going good. 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 Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. And there will never ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy. And we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? All right. Obviously, with satire and humor, it overstates it. But that's the point. 
It takes something and it takes it to the absurd for you to realize that at its core, it's absurd. The problem is not conflict and the problem is not doctrine. Doctrine is not the problem within the Christian church today. The problem is not doctrine, but doctrine that is focused on the wrong things. Paul did not say, you're not supposed to teach, Timothy. He said, you are to stop the false teaching. He didn't say the problem was his delivery or the problem is that. No, he said the problem is, is that which is contrary to the truth. The devil loves Christians who don't know what they believe. They are just as easy to take to hell as the sinner who says there is no God. A Christian who does not understand what his or her salvation is rooted and grounded in is just as damned as the person who doesn't know that they need salvation. Doctrine is what roots and grounds. While that video I showed you is funny, it's actually a warning to our small groups and the fact that they cannot be shallow. They cannot be focused on tangential, unimportant things. I can tell you as an aside that our teaching team will work the curriculum over and there is, and I appreciate it, times when folks will say, preacher, we're going too deep. Preacher, we're going too far. Can people hang with this? Can people understand this? And while I want to make sure that things are accessible and understandable, there are some things that are deep, there are some things that are hard, and they're worth pushing through. There are some things that you need to learn, and they're not fun. There are some things you need to study, and they don't feel good. They are what makes it work. I don't know, maybe you don't like your vegetables. I actually don't mind them, so I, I yell at my wife when she doesn't give me vegetables. I know, that's kind of odd. It's the only healthy thing I do. Everything else I do is probably unhealthy, okay? But I want my vegetables, because I've figured out the vegetables are good for me. They don't always taste good, Brother Keith. Some of them do, but some of them don't. But I'm still gonna eat my vegetables. Did, it, did I pick the right person to use for that example? Yeah, I, I thought I did. That must have been the spirit because I really wasn't thinking about it. Just looked over there, kind of felt it. Doctrine is your spiritual vegetables. It's what makes your eyeballs work. It's what makes your ears work. It's what makes your brain work. It's what gives you spiritual sensitivity. Our small groups must be substantial and they must deal with important topics that ground us in the truth. For a Christian... Doctrine influences everything because it informs our worldview, which in turn dictates our actions. Doctrine influences everything because it informs how you view the world. We live in a society that says you are a success if you have money and you are a failure if you don't have money. Doctrine has to fight that because that's not God's worldview. We got a Puritan work ethic that comes down through history that says, based upon that, if I have accumulated wealth, I'm blessed of God. And if I do not accumulate wealth, I'm cursed of God. That is not the scriptures. That is not true doctrine. The Farmer's Almanac, Ben Franklin, and all of the other pithy quote folks 
are not scripture. They may preach, but they do not teach. Okay, we got to deal with this because our worldview is informed by our doctrine. And that in turn dictates how we act. The key is true teaching that leads us to God's worldview that then leads to our right actions. You want to be right with God, you've got to see things through God's eyes. And you're never going to see things through God's eyes by your feelings and by your culture. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. You are in your feelings broken and you are in your culture contrary to the ways of God. And oh, by the way, just because you go to church, just because you grew up in church, culture comes out of humanity and culture by its very definition, since it comes from humanity, becomes over time broken. So, if bad teaching is stopped by teaching doctrine, what determines doctrine? What determines doctrine? Now, here is my second main passage of Scripture, because Paul is crystal clear in this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Here again, he's picking up the same motif. Evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful. He's writing to Timothy. You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they, the Scriptures, have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses Scripture to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Right action comes from God's worldview. God's worldview is given to you through the Scriptures. God uses the Scriptures to equip you and to prepare you to do what He's asked you to do. Paul states that deception will occur. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no safe space. There is no place you can go where deception is not at your doorstep. Deception is prevalent and present everywhere you go. It is not good enough to find a preacher you like, and now I'm deception free. It's not how it works. The preacher is not the foundation of doctrine. There is no church organization or denomination where you are deception free. It's not. You don't go find the right church and then I'm good, I'm okay, I'm safe. No, deception will occur. The key to avoiding deception is remaining faithful to wholesome teaching. And the way you remain faithful to wholesome teaching is that you understand and have received doctrine into your life. Doctrine are not opinions. They are established truths. You don't vary from them. You want to know a couple of mine? Number one, God wants me in church. 
well, preacher, you got to soften things up a little bit. You know, we got the online. And, we, and by the way, those of you watching online, I'm not trying to sting you here, but I'm first and foremost preaching right here. I got, we got the online. Come on now. Relax a little bit. No. Scripture says that we, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, should avoid forsaking assembling together. You want to go to heaven? I don't care how bad your sin is. You want to go to heaven? You keep coming to church and God will save you. I don't care how broke you are. I don't care how messed up you are. I don't care how problematic it is. 22 years of ministry in my, on my, actually 25, I just got my certificate. 25 years of licensed ministry. I have seen it. This is one of the keys. It's doctrine. It's settled. You can argue till you're blue in the face. I'm not moving. You got to go to church. You got to go to church. It's not acceptable not to go to church. Now you say, well, we're here on Sunday night. Why are you preaching this? I don't know. Somebody else might watch it, listen to it, and maybe you just need to be confirmed. It's not acceptable to skip church. Why am I saying it this way? Because it's a doctrine in my life. It's established. Nobody moves me on this. You want another one? Where am I going to go? Some of you have been around here long enough. There's two principles that I, man, you got to have these. These are the bare minimum. Where am I going? Somebody tell me, where am I going? Giving. That's exactly right. I have never seen a person who keeps giving money to God that God doesn't just keep working in their life. Because when you tell God no, you'll stop giving him your money. Oh, by the way, the corollary is true too. When you keep telling God yes, you're going to find yourself starting to give your, God your money. That's why it's important that we are good stewards of it. That's why it's important that we are accountable about it. But at the end of the day, I don't care what anybody's doing with the money. God gets his money. Because I desperately need him to multiply. I need my five loaves and two fish to multiply. So I'm going to give him my money. I've never met a person, no matter how broken they were, no matter how messed up they were, that when they started walking away from God and towards deception, the first thing they start doing is they stop giving money. The second thing they do is they start skipping church. Two things. Now, I've verified that all the way back into two elders, 46 years of pastoring a church there and 26 years of pastoring a church there, and they both have served God much longer than that. Both of them. Is that an amen? I'm... When you move away from God, you will stop or start, depending on how you want to phrase it, you'll start cutting corners on your money, and you'll stop coming to church. Ah, they just go to church too often. Ah, I got something that's more important. And before long, you've moved something that was doctrine. It was solid. It was settled. And you've moved it. Not everything we do is doctrine. I would prefer that you not chew gum in church. I'm smiling at a few of you that I happen to know that you do chew gum in church. I would prefer that you not chew gum in church. Well, I don't spit it in the carpet. Yeah, but your bratty little kids might. And then I got to get it out of that carpet or get Lil to get it out of that carpet or get somebody to get it out of that carpet. Not chewing gum in church is not doctrine. It won't save you. It has nothing to do with heaven or hell. The only thing it'll do is it'll make your preacher not look at you cross-eyed. That's all. And what scares the snot out of me is there's too many of our churches 
that the preferences of the pastor are paid attention to more than doctrine. My preferences won't save you, but God's worldview will. You've got to have doctrine. So Paul says this is what's going to happen. It's critical in the life of the church. It's what's keeping us from deception. It is the foundation of wholesome teaching based on doctrine. It's the scriptures. And look at how he said it. I love the way the NLT puts this. They teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong. True doctrine is knowing both true and false. It's not good enough to just know true. You've got to be able to recognize false. You've got to be able to embrace truth, but you've got to also be able to reject the deception. But Paul doesn't stop there. He understands that in the life of the believer, we are all broken. Everybody's broken. That's why this is a place of mercy and grace. Yes, there's a heaven and yes, there's a hell. And yes, Jesus is coming back. And I don't know when, but when he does, there will be a separation of the sheep and the goats. And I want and I want you to be in the sheep, not in the goats. But we are all broken. No one has arrived. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We are all broken. And with that brokenness comes sin. And if you say that you have no sin, the writer of the epistle of John said you are a liar. And the truth is not in you. Thank God he didn't stop there, right? Thank God along with him saying, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. And along with him saying that you should not sin, he also said, but if you have sinned, you have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad for that? Thank God. That's doctrine. You're not saved by what you do. You're not saved by your deeds. You're not saved by the good works that you do. You are saved by the mercy and the grace of God that comes through faith. That's doctrine. There is within our movement an idea that you are saved by how you live. Faith without works is dead, and so works is everything. You pump up those works, and that shows you got the right amount of faith. Well, I got news for you. You are not saved by your works. You are saved by the grace of God. Does that require you to be obedient? Absolutely. But you're not saved by what you're obedient to. You're saved by the mercy and the grace of God. Jesus died on Calvary, and that is what saves you. He's the only one who gets to say no to you. And the last time I checked the scriptures, there's only one time that he says, I won't forgive you. And he puts no caveats. There's one time he says, the only time I won't forgive you is if you won't forgive somebody else. So that's doctrine. Worldview says, no, there are some things irredeemable. You're a child molester, you are irredeemable. You're a sex offender, you are irredeemable. In the Christian world, you're a homosexual, you're irredeemable. Not doctrine. Paul even said, such were some of you. Doctrine that comes from Scripture. You see, we are broken and sin comes in and this happens. So the Scriptures not only teach us truth and make us recognize wrong, but Scriptures are also the mechanism by which God corrects us when we do wrong and teach us how to do right. Why? Why is this so essential? Why does this matter to leaders? Why did it matter in Paul's words to Timothy and to Titus? Because every Christian is called to be a leader. Go back to last week. And every leader must know truth 
and must recognize wrong. But we've got to also be able to submit to the scriptures that will correct us when our actions do not match our knowledge and will teach us how to act according to what we know is true. See, I had to face this as a child, as a young man, because I have never not had doctrine. I grew up with parents that were crazy about doctrine. In my house, if you could quote the scripture, you could get your way. Now, you better have it spliced right. You better have it understood right. But if you could cite chapter and verse, pop would submit to it. Mom would submit to it. Trust me, I tried some and it didn't work. And I tried some and it did work. It's how we lived our lives. You want to know what made them wolves? That's what made them wolves. They would not bend with regard to the scriptures, period. It's a little irritating as they've gotten older that they raised a boy that won't bend on that either. Even when that gets into our personal space, I won't bend. They won't bend. So it means we go head to head sometimes. Because scriptures is the foundation. It is what makes it work. Not your business practices. Not your human wisdom. Not your grandma's folktale. Not your family myths. No, scripture. Scripture is what corrects us when our actions do not match our knowledge. And scripture is what will teach us how to act according to what we know is true. So, my watch is going off telling me that I've gone long enough, and so let me close. Where are we teaching at Newark UPC? Where is right doctrine happening? Where is false teaching being stopped? We teach in discipleship classes. If you haven't taken them, if you're not involved with them, you need to do so post-haste. We teach in small groups. If you're not in one, I don't know what you're waiting on. We teach in Bible quizzing. When you see the financial report and you see the money that we put into our children's ministry and in particular the Bible quizzing, the reason is is because we believe that Bible quizzing puts into the hearts and minds of young people the scriptures. And even though at that point they may not know, we are laying the building blocks that will become doctrine in their life. There is no price too high for that. We teach it in youth class. We teach in kids' Bible night. We teach in big group learning. You need to come out this April. Don't sit around with all your preconceptions about the end time and when Jesus is coming and your timelines and all the other stuff. Come out and hear sound teaching. Don't swallow it because Dr. Brickle is teaching it. Don't swallow it because my friend is teaching it. Come out with your Bible and come out ready to listen and to learn and to test it. Say, so, well, I don't, I don't know. It's really hard. You know how your kids are going to learn how to eat? You have to put them at a table with food. Yes, you may have to cut up some of the food a little bit when they're first starting. But I can tell you what, they can eat a lot quicker than you realize. Go ask Candace. Candace, because of her allergies, we go to a steakhouse. That girlfriend puts away a steak that grown men can't put away. 
When I go out to eat with my daughter and we're at a steakhouse, she gets the largest steak in the place and she eats it all. She didn't always know how to eat steak, but she's learned. I know many of you, including my teachers, have bucked and snorted about a book, a book that I put in your hand. You know why I put it in your hand? It not only has truth, it has deception. Learn to recognize truth, learn to recognize deception. Stop bucking and snorting and learn. Get out your utensils and start cutting. See, I'm over time. I better hurry up and wrap this up. Get out your utensils, teachers, and learn to cut some meat. Learn to discern. Teach those who you are teaching how to discern. Why? Because this is how we stop false teaching. We teach doctrine that's based on Scripture, and we learn not only what is true, but we learn to recognize what is false. Well, that's what you're Absolutely. <laughs> All along, without a shadow of a doubt, because there are truths and there were falsehoods and you need to learn to discern them. Absolutely. Glad you all caught up. Glory. We even teach in servantship service. Preaching and teaching the scriptures will ground you in sound, true doctrine. And without doctrine, we're all open to deception, both in our knowledge and in our actions. But with doctrine, founded in the scriptures, we have good, solid teaching that causes us to be able to embrace the truth and reject the deception. You as leaders need to hear the voice of the Apostle Paul in his letters to leaders. Stop it, Timothy. Put a stop to the false teaching. Don't spend time on myths and genealogies. Don't spend time on all of this riffraff. Get to the scriptures, get to what they're focused on, and learn about them. Ground yourself in them. Establish yourself in doctrine. Fix some things in your lives. That will withhold you from deception. Let's stand. We're going to sing a couple more songs. Sister Lil's going to